0: Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Now, in today's show, we're going to talk about Activision Blizzard once again, the Xbox acquisition. We're going to talk about Sony's stake of play, and we're going to finish it off by addressing the Suicide Squad situation that we all found, found ourselves in after that stake of play last week but as always we're going to talk about the last of us first we're going to discuss episode seven spoiler alert for the uh episode so far and the games so if you don't want to be spoiled be sure to look at the show notes that way you can skip ahead i think this was the first week that i sort of considered maybe not discussing the last episode because part of me feels like i don't really have much more to add to this and it also feels like every week i'm just coming on here and saying. The same thing, which is honestly a good thing, uh, all things involved, which I'm just saying, wow, here we go. Another great episode. Uh, and I'm kind of heaping all this praise at the creators, which they absolutely do deserve. Uh, but yeah, this was another, this was definitely an episode that I was personally looking forward to because it wasn't that long ago that I played the Left Behind DLC I had repurchased Last of Us, the remastered edition for PlayStation 4, and I replayed it before the show began. It was, I think, only my second playthrough of the game, and it was at that point that I decided to play play Left Behind, so I didn't play the DLC when it first released on PlayStation. So I genuinely knew what to expect going into this episode. I had a pretty good idea on the things that they were going to cut you know for example like the the whole brick throwing mini game from the uh the games I you know it's every cut that they made to the episode was the right one I think they kept the most important story beats they didn't really change too much they sort of remixed it a bit sort of remixing and adding the Halloween shop and the finale. Um uh, I understood the removal of the water guns for example like I got that. My big question going into this episode was were they going to show what happened to Riley? That was a moment of left behind that I was genuinely surprised by. I thought that they would have shown Ellie's reaction to Riley turning and her not turning. I'm still surprised that they didn't use the show as an opportunity to do that. Now, I had, I didn't do much research. I haven't listened to the podcast episode discussing episode seven just yet, so maybe they address it there. But I'm not aware, and I've never dug deep to find out if Neil Druckmann ever addressed that. But I was definitely surprised finishing that DLC. I was very surprised at the fact that they, they did not show that moment of exactly what happened to Riley. If they stuck through to their plan of them both waiting to turn together, I would sort of, there's a part of me that would have assumed that they would have shown Ellie's reaction to watching this, her best friend, a person that she loves turn into uh, an infected and at the same exact time that she is discovering that she is immune or discovering that she is, I guess, at that moment in time, more resistant to the fungus than Riley was. And then I guess, you know, after a few days passed, that's when she realized, oh my God, I guess I am immune. And yeah, I guess that there is still room for the show to portray that. Like we still haven't seen... The scenes of Ashley Johnson, who's the original voice actress for Ellie, who plays Ellie's mom and gives birth to her, that was in the previews. I was assuming that that would have been part of this uh, episode, but it was not. My guess is that that would be something that would come in episode nine, Um, you know, because it's maybe to reflect on Marlene, because we know from the... The game that Marlene was a part of Ellie's life at one point point knew her mother. So it would make sense to kind of bring that into that episode to talk about Marlene's, I guess, moral struggle with uh, finding out that Ellie will not survive this procedure. That was a part that was not shown in the video games. And I think the TV show will be a great opportunity for that so yeah there was a little part of me that was surprised that the tv show didn't take advantage um, and show what happened uh, to Riley after she was bit so that was a little bit of a surprise to me I did read a a kind of a, a funny article this morning from Kotaku that they had said you know, hey, one of the best parts of the game was was ruined by the TV show, and they were talking about the arcade sequence from the game. If you played the DLC, they come to a moment where they come to this arcade cabinet. It's not working. Riley tells Ellie to close her eyes, and she sort of paints a picture of um, of the game. And I definitely understand why they, d- I, I, I think that that's a moment that doesn't translate well for TV as much as it, that, that's kind of one of those moments where you write it down on paper, you think about the execution and it works really well in the medium of video games. And that was something I brought up a lot in that YouTube video that I uploaded is that I think Neil and Craig have both been very uh, great in their respective uh, expertises in terms of understanding what would what worked for the video game and what will work for the tv show and then making the proper changes this was the change that in my opinion made sense i don't know kotaku's kind of kind of weird like that that writer had said that they felt like it was a mortal Kombat commercial which honestly doesn't make any sense <laughs> like you know uh, i i don't think that Warner Brothers fought really hard even though they own HBO right I don't think they fought really hard like hey we need to put Mortal Kombat 2 into this show because we want to sell more copies of Mortal Kombat 12 like that doesn't (laughs) that doesn't really compute that doesn't add up it doesn't really make any sense I think it's a great instead of going with a fictional arcade game I think it connects us as viewers way more into the world it grounds it even more because for the majority of us that are watching uh, the show, we all have memories of not only just arcades, but popular arcades like her walking past. You see Tetris in there. You see she played around with Daytona for a second. And Mortal Kombat 2 is very near and dear to me personally because they had one at the laundromat around the corner from where I live. And, and I would play it very regularly. Sub-Zero was my dude all day, every day. So I think that that was really more what fueled using Mortal Kombat 2 rather than um, using it a, uh, a fictional game more so than anything else. But that was one of those changes where I felt like it made a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, a lot of the additions, the, the stop at the Victoria's Secret, I thought was a really good moment. And um, yeah, I mean, overall, there's not really much more... F- I can say about this show, uh, these guys just haven't missed. They don't miss. It's very likely that they're not going to miss. <laughs> we know that the X, the next episode is is involving uh, David. I believe was that character's name. It's going to be debut of uh, Troy Baker, who was the voice actor for Joel. He's playing a part, um, and we'll see. Like that scene at the that's supposed to exist at the end of this next episode, episode eight. Of Ellie with the machete that's a very pivotal scene in the game that's a very pivotal point uh, for that character so I don't see them changing that too much but I'm very much looking forward to the execution because you know Bella Ramsey have just been she's just been phenomenal uh, in her work as Ellie so I'm definitely looking forward to that our next story deals with Activision Blizzard we have to talk about this once again, because last week Microsoft President Brad Smith held a press conference to discuss the Activision Blizzard purchase. Now, this happened after they had a closed door closed door meeting with the UK's CMA. It was closed door, so we um, we don't know the details surrounding that. But Brad Smith decided to have a uh, a conference, a press conference. And you know, a, a lot of this is really playing the game, right? A lot of this Activision Blizzard thing has been Xbox playing the game and playing the PR game. They've 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 worked really really hard to set themselves up as the underdog. They they're trying really really hard to set themselves up as the team player, uh, setting themselves up as the people that. You know, we need this acquisition in order to remain competitive. And that's really what this press conference was. It was very, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, It involved so much pageantry and showmanship. You know, Brad Smith stood up there and he pulled out this, you know a stack of papers that were stapled together it must be like 50 pages something like that and this guy stands up there remember this is the president he stands up there he's like oh you know i was uh, uh you know i walk around everywhere with this with this paper and the paper is apparently the contract uh for between microsoft and sony in order to create a, de- put a deal in place so that Call of Duty comes to PlayStation 5. All future Call of Duties come to PlayStation 5 day and date, feature for feature, the same as the Xbox version. Apparently, Brad Smith walks everywhere with that piece of paper just in case Sony gives them a phone call. Give me a break. It's just a bunch of, like I said, it's just it's just pageantry. You know, I'm, I'm trying to find the right word for it, but I know you guys know what I mean when it comes to this. It's, it's just showmanship. It's all smoke and mirrors to make us feel like, you know, Sony is just the outright 100% evil devil horns and, and we're the good guys. They're the bad guys. And, you know, I've, I've said this many times before. I do not have a horse in this race, but I always like to look at both sides because I think both sides are doing good and not so good things when it comes to this acquisition, even though I do agree with the acquisition. I I do not think that, Microsoft the Xbox acquiring Activision Blizzard tips the scales too much. I've said this many times before. I would be, I would feel very differently if you know uh, Microsoft says that they're buying Valve and and giving themselves ownership to Steam. In my opinion, that would be unacceptable. Uh, Microsoft being offered to Nintendo that they couldn't refuse that to me would be unacceptable, and would give them a very very unfair advantage in the marketplace. I don't. Even though Activision Blizzard is our industry's biggest publisher, I don't think that it would tip the scales that much in um, in their favor. He also claimed because you know part of this is Xbox continuing to make themselves look bad. That's kind of a part of all this is they have to ensure that you know and each side is doing these. We've seen we've seen uh, Jim Ryan do it with Sony. And we're seeing it. Uh, being done with Xbox, where each of them is trying to appeal to these regulators and tell them, "Well, we suck." And let me tell you how much we suck. So he went up there. He was claiming that Sony's European market share is eighty twenty globally. Globally, their market share is seventy thirty, and in Japan, to no surprise, it's ninety six to four percent. So Sony owns ninety six percent of the Japanese market to their four percent and a lot of people have also brought up the fact that throughout all these dealings throughout all these conversations Nintendo isn't really being brought up obviously if we brought Nintendo into that japanese pie i don't think it would work out to 964 right you would have to give uh you have to cut a slice in there for nintendo which of course would still be lo- much larger than xbox's 4% right um but it's understandable why right they're their, their main opposition is Sony. We're not seeing Nintendo um, standing up and making these phone calls and flying out and speaking to the UK and Brazil and all these different countries to try to get this stopped. You know, Nintendo remains Nintendo. They're playing their own game. Like, yeah, we all exist in, you know, the same arena, uh, but, you know, you guys are playing Football one versus one. We're over here having fun with cricket, and all our fans love us for it. You know, like they're playing their own game. They don't really care. Um, especially because Activision Blizzard is bupkis in terms of their third-party support, right? They really don't get too much support. I guess more Blizzard than Activision, right? They've gotten the Diablo, they've gotten uh Overwatch, Overwatch 2 on there, but still nothing like super duper major, especially from the Activision point of view and especially when it comes to Call of Duty. So, of course, more showmanship over the week. Um, They confirmed that they have a 10-year commitment in place to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo. Now, this means absolutely nothing. I mean, it means nothing. This is one of those things that if it were to happen, if, if this would have happened at any point in Activision's life cycle, we would have never gotten this announcement. We would have never known about this deal it would have just been an announcement all of a sudden, like, hey, this next Call of Duty, we're bringing it to Nintendo Switch, and that's it. Like, it's very abnormal for us to hear about these types of deals from the consumer and the fan-facing perspective. So that's what, that's what I mean in terms of, this is all just all for show. You're putting on a show for the CMA. And it's like Xbox is saying, look, we know how to play ball, we're a team player, look at us. We work with Nintendo to give them a, a, a 10-year deal. I'm sure that phone call was very, very simple between between uh, Xbox and Nintendo. Xbox going like, hey, we would love to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo. And Nintendo's been like, all right, whatever. Uh, And Xbox saying, hey, do you guys want a 10 year deal? So you guys know we're uh, being truthful and world deliver. And Nintendo's like, "Eh, I don't care if you guys want to make a contract. I really don't give a fuck. Like (laughs) Nintendo doesn't really care about this it's more Microsoft that's making this big deal out of it and you know the aim of all of it is to make once again make PlayStation look like the party pooper look but look like the person that took the basketball and went home they don't want to play um this honestly doesn't mean anything um you know I've said this before that I think that bringing Call of Duty mobile to Nintendo that would that would literally be my one of my first points of action if i was phil spencer the moment that i have influence over activision blizzard i'm saying how quickly can we port call of duty mobile over to nintendo switch it would work so well and i know a lot of people think about call of duty mobile and they're like oh you know it's a less advanced the shitty version but it's actually a really good version of call of duty and as i said it would work really 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 well on nintendo switch um so that would kind of be my first call to action, but honestly, this deal is more in place. Like, I mean, if we're talking about a ten-year commitment, where how many games are we going to ship? You know, I I think at a maximum we're looking at five. I'll I'll put five Call of Duties as the absolute maximum number of Call of Duties you can ship onto Nintendo within ten years, because you know there still has to be an entire infrastructure built in order to bring Call of Duty over to Nintendo Switch. And I think a lot of that's also dependent on whatever the next Nintendo Switch is. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of this commitment was some high-level top secret conversations between Xbox and Nintendo about like, you know, hey, when can we expect a system that can actually run these games or run them to a level that's at least close to the current versions that we have out on these other systems uh so this commitment i think is more for whatever the switch's successor is you know new nintendo switch whatever it may be that was announced alongside a 10-year partnership with nvidia to bring xbox pc games to geforce now so once again i just look at this as very performative Xbox is still coming out the winner, you know, this isn't Xbox saying like, hey, look how much of a team player uh, we are when it comes to this, you know, who cares, you know, in order to use GeForce now, you still have to own the games. The only thing that this deal does is it opens a, up a brand new revenue stream for, uh, for Xbox, because now if someone is thinking of uh, getting star, Starfield and and using a Game Pass, now they're probably more like, nah, you know, I'm just going to buy it on Steam. That way I can stream it through GeForce now, which has a really, really good stable PC uh, streaming platform, especially lately since they upgraded the graphics cards and stuff like that. Um, Way better streaming in terms of PC games on nvidia geforce and xbox has with their own streaming service so yeah, you know, i look at this as like a yeah, big deal big deal you know another thing is like a 10-year this partnership we would never have even heard about this this is a w for xbox and i think it's a great deal i think it's you know I've, I've said this so many times before i wish all games were everywhere i wish that's where we were but unfortunately we aren't so it's once again it's very performative now in an interview phil spencer said Uh, something that I I don't even know why he said that this I feel like it's very obvious but he said quote this is an important acquisition for us it's not some linchpin to the long term Xbox will exist if this deal doesn't go through so I guess letting it be known that you know this this acquisition is not a make or break moment for uh, for Xbox and to be honest with you if there were any caveats and conceits when it comes to this if I'm the Xbox team, I'm I'm then going to negotiate for Blizzard. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and go to Activision and say, would you guys like to split your company back up again and let me buy Blizzard? Then at that point, it, then Sony really has no leg to stand on. But if I was Xbox, that's honestly that, that's the team, that's the studio that I'm going after. Even though Call of Duty, yes, the intellectual property is still every single year is the best selling game that we have uh, in our industry. I still think that in the long haul, for the long play that Xbox is going for, I would put more money on Blizzard or I would focus more on them, their teams, and their intellectual properties. I feel like you get more bang for your buck going after uh, Blizzard. So there's a part of me that could maybe see something like that potentially happening. Um, but I still believe that this deal will go through as is. Xbox has shown time and time again that they're committed to keeping Call of Duty on PlayStation. I don't think that there's any reason for them to um, remove it, especially because there are so many tactics that they can use to migrate people towards Xbox if you're a Call of Duty player that doesn't involve completely shutting PlayStation out and you know, i've brought this so many times before on the podcast exclusive beta access all that stuff everything playstation had now is on xbox you add that to the fact that you're adding every single call of duty to game pass all that is a win-win to start slowly migrating sub users over to xbox and or pc away from playstation you don't need to completely cut playstation out of the picture Phil Spencer also says quote competition is us trying to get stronger I don't have great rationale for how better competition in consoles is somehow hurtful for consumers because to me having us Sony and Nintendo doing well in the console market all of us with strengths and uniqueness and content and capabilities gives consumers more choice I hate to see consoles go to where phones are where there are only two manufacturers And right now we have three good competitors. Now, I don't even think phones really are there. Like, yes, there are two main manufacturers. Uh, Maybe he probably means operating systems, which is kind of true. There's really only Apple, iOS, and and Android. I'm guessing he doesn't mean Apple and Samsung then uh, when he says manufacturer. He probably means operating systems. Um, But... I I agree with what Phil Spencer is uh, is saying here. This is the way for Xbox to be competitive. This is something that they discovered back in 2015, 16, 17 when they were getting their ass kicked with the, with the failure that was Xbox One. That was when they came to the conclusion that intellectual property software is really what matters the same conclusion as disney came down to when they decided to start spending money and investing in those extremely wise investments right in uh you know pixar star wars marvel you know fox and stuff like that when they made all those acquisitions they understood that content was king and that was the same conclusion that xbox came down to look when it comes to PlayStation versus Xbox. I think it really is a conversation between one person that was very that was late to the party, right? Xbox was an entire generation behind PlayStation. So PlayStation has something that Xbox will never have. It has the nostalgia factor. It's just something that Xbox will never be able to attain. But on top of that, PlayStation, you know, worked their asses off and every single leader that PlayStation has had has made the right decisions along the way in order to turn PlayStation into what it is today. Along the way to making Xbox what it is right now, Microsoft made a lot of poor decisions. They make a lot of bad decisions, right? There are a lot of things that we can look at Xbox and say, "Why there was a lot of innovation from Xbox, such as online multiplayer. That's something that, is undeniable when it comes to Xbox. You have to be able to look at Microsoft, look at Xbox and say, wow, there's actually a lot of things that they did do that changed our industry for the better, whether it was hard drives, whether it was online play, um, making a big bet with Xbox on on broadband and things like that, voice chat, friends list, gamer tags, a lot of things they are they're super normal now for us, even uh, pioneering microtransactions and downloadable content and map packs and, uh, arcade games and stuff like that. Uh, you know, they, there's a lot of innovation over there at Xbox, but Xbox's innovation really is about how can we make more money off of this pastime? That's really what Xbox's claim to fame really is, right? Before we were, we were paying $50 a year it was just unheard of like no one we were all playing on pc there was never a conversation about hey should we charge people to be playing these video games over pc and it's 2023 and that conversation still doesn't happen right but xbox was the one that came forward and said no we can get away with charging 50 a year and you notice now that playstation nintendo um have adapted that um that same ideal So there, but alongside that, there were a lot of poor decisions made, right? Xbox relied way more on third party than their competitors at PlayStation did. They did not invest a lot of money internally. Um, And that's why I always like to compare Xbox versus PlayStation as like the Mets versus the Yankees, even though recently that has swapped, (laughs) you know, I am a Mets fan, our new owner very wealthy man, right? So these roles have kind of been reversed a bit in the last few years. But if we're thinking about, you know, 2010s or whatever like that, we're talking about the Yankees and the Mets. It was very much like the Yankees would always get accused of buying championships because they didn't have the most reputable, excuse me, reputable farm system across the major leagues, right? Right they would just identify players that were near their peak and say, okay, I'm just going to give $100 million to this player and I'll be able to put that player on my team. And that's why a lot of people looked at them as buying championships. Now, everyone's looking at Xbox the same, right? Because Xbox is going out and buying all these um, uh, developers. Now they're going after this mega publisher and they look at it as Xbox trying to buy championships, quote, unquote. Outside, very different from Sony's strategy, which a lot of it is almost like this farm system, right? Uh, They didn't buy Naughty Dog after The Last of Us and after Uncharted, right? They didn't buy Sucker Punch after uh, Ghost of Tsushima. All these amazing games from these... Uh, core studios that they have, right? Insomniac, Sucker Punch, Naughty Dog, uh, Sony Santa Monica is something that they built from the ground up. They went out there, they recruited the right um, talent. They made all the right decisions. And, you know, God of War, God of War Ragnarok are two of the, the best video games ever made that our industry has ever seen. We can't really say the same for Xbox. They're just going out and they're they're buying things. But on one hand, even when they have all the money that they have, they still made wrong decisions, right? They went out and they spent all this money on Rare. A lot of the studios that they have purchased, uh, we still haven't seen the fruits of those that that labor of going out and spending all of that money. So the way that I look at it is that Xbox is correct. Phil Spencer is right in terms of saying, hey, us going out and buying these developers, us going out and buying Activision Blizzard, this is how we can remain competitive. And Microsoft is right. In terms of trying to get to the end goal of trying to even out this market share, right? Sony 70, Xbox is 30. Even for Xbox to push up to 40 and make that 60-40, right? Um, it, It would take so much longer for them to go the PlayStation route and try to find studios and teams in their infancy and trying to identify those things, rather than trying to find teams that have already found some success, such as Double Fine, such as Obsidian Entertainment, such as Bethesda, for example. So they already know for a fact that they're getting a lot of talent outside of having to take some take a team from a relatively unknown and having to use all their resources and know-how to turn them into a naughty dog for example and unfortunately it's just not a strength so xbox had to take themselves what are our strengths what what is something that we have that sony doesn't well we have business daddy we have microsoft we have these trillion dollars we have this gigantic vault that we can take advantage of, and this is exactly what they're doing. So it's one of those things where it's like, you know, these PlayStation fanboys. Uh, even though I, you know, I hate these console wars. I hate it so much with a passion. You guys defending plastic boxes—it's—it's—it's it's, it's been weird. It will always continue to be weird. PlayStation fans uh, are right when they say that you know things are very different between Xbox and PlayStation. PlayStation it's extremely rare that PlayStation buys a studio at their absolute height. They would rather, they would much rather identify these teams that they've worked with. They like what they've done. They see what they're doing and they would much rather acquire them at that point in time. For example, acquiring very recently Haven studios. um, We, you know, who's that that's being run by Jade, Jade Raymond. We have absolutely no idea what their game is. They haven't, done anything but if there's one thing that i trust sony with it's sony's judgment when it comes to either offering exclusivity to a game uh offering marketing money to a game or uh purchasing a studio outright they are the best they're the best of the best when it comes to the three this is a fact this is not an opinion they're the best of the best when it comes to identifying and uh growing talent no one does it better than sony does right their biggest acquisition up to date has been bungie right that's really been their biggest acquisition in terms of i'm buying a team that's already established that already has had a a a few mega hits right uh one that has not been incubated inside of my farm system and even when making that acquisition uh there was zero moment where uh it was known that one of their future games will now be PlayStation exclusive. Very different from whatever Haven Studios is making. Whatever Haven Studios is creating, PlayStation quickly identified it and said, this is going to be huge. I don't want my competitor to have this, so I'm just going to go ahead and buy this studio. And it's just so extremely rare that when Xbox makes that decision, either to put a game first on Game Pass day one, or even identifying a game in order to purchase console exclusivity more times than not, it pales in comparison to PlayStation. When PlayStation identifies a game, whether it's indie and it's PlayStation first, PlayStation only, or coming to PlayStation's premium services day one, nine times out of ten it's a hit it's a conversation piece it's something that us as an industry we you know we're talking about seafood we're, we're you know we're talking about stray hitting those awards you know we're talking about chia coming on in a few months we were talking about kind bridge of spirits they quickly identify how important and how big hogwarts legacy was going to be and they, they they paid the extra money to be the marketing lead And uh, to pay for that exclusive mission and all that stuff, that sold 12 million copies. You know that PlayStation made their money back and then some. And they're not perfect, but they have a much better track record than when it comes uh, to Xbox. And of course, it's not like their tactics are, you know, these, hey, let's let's play fair. We're just here to have fun. No, PlayStation also plays very, very dirty, right? (laughs) They are the ones that will go forward and identify all these games and say, no, we're paying for exclusivity, right? We saw them do it with Deathloop. We saw them do it with Ghostwire Tokyo. And it looks like they extended, um, that. excuse me, not extended, but they had a longer deal in place for that game than they did with Deathloop, which I kind of find surprising, to be honest. Um, you know, it, 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 they did it with Final Fantasy and all these other uh games and yes they're not always successes right like forespoken right someone sometimes they're failures but they're still batting like 700 compared to xbox at the plate batting 200 so it's like if you're faced with this this decision where you're phil spencer and his team you're you're gonna say to yourself like hey let's use what we have what do we have we have a lot of fucking money so we're gonna go out there and spend that's what they're going to do and that's what they did and i think xbox is right in terms of like hey this is the only way that we can look at to compete this is the only way that i can see for our, our, our path right to so spend this money that we have it's the only chance that we have to even the scales and at least push for 6040 globally so phil spencer's right this is their way to compete and i don't think that places should be standing in the way and honestly even after acquiring activision blizzard playstation is still in a very very good place right uh they're still in a very good place to make a deal with square enix for example they can tip those scales right back and they'll be paying way less for square enix and they're paying than xbox is paying for activision blizzard right i still think that that they're paying they're overpaying for Activision Blizzard but you know that's just me right so this is their way to compete and I don't think that anyone should get in the way um, for them to compete because this is it this unfortunately this is where Xbox is they screwed up they made way too many mistakes to all of a sudden all of a sudden say hey we can do this Sony way we can incubate and, and we can build teams that I think it's really too late for that. They have to buy their way back into a bigger market share. And yeah, that's what they're doing. Our next story deals with state of play. So, uh they had a state of play last week for for Sony. It wasn't anything huge, right? It was a few things. They started off of showing off a few VR games. Uh some of the things are kind of cool, nothing honestly to convince me to buy a VR headset, but uh I still think that you know, honestly, PlayStation is getting a lot of support. You know, over forty games within a launch window, it's not bad. It's really good, um, even though there's nothing there that I feel like it's. They, they still don't have their hardware seller, their hardware mover. I I, I do believe that will be Half Life Alex, and I I I can't. Uh, imagine a scenario where PlayStation hasn't tried or isn't still actively trying or already has the deal in place that we haven't heard about just yet. Uh, then we got a Chia trailer, which is a game that I'm personally looking forward to that's coming March 21st, but there was the announcement that it is coming day one to PS Plus Extra, which is pretty cool. Um, they also announced that Uncharted Legacy of Thieves Collection, Immortals Phoenix Rising, Rainbow Six Extraction, and Ghostwire Tokyo are coming to PS Plus Extra. So the Ghostwire Tokyo thing is a little bit of a surprise because they did not do this with Deathloop. But this also means that there was a deal in place originally where when they paid Bethesda for this Ghostwire Tokyo deal, they paid for one-year exclusivity. And then once that one-year exclusivity was done, they paid for this game to come to PlayStation Plus. I can't imagine a scenario where they made this deal after Xbox bought this company. Uh, so that mean that's probably why we haven't seen this game on Xbox yet. We, we're going to have to wait until or Xbox fans will have to wait until Ghostwire Tokyo until that deal is done, which could take, what, six months or something like that at a minimum that that game will be on PS Plus. And you don't when you sign these deals, when PlayStation signs these deals, they usually make it noted in the deal. That the game cannot exist on Game Pass at the same exact time, so that's why Xbox gamers are gonna have to wait a little bit longer for Ghostwire Tokyo. Uh, PS Plus Essential, they're getting you're getting Battlefield 2042, Minecraft Dungeons, and Code Vein. So some pretty good games, I think. Overall, PlayStation's been doing a much better job with Essential than I thought they would have been doing. Um, I thought that Essential was going to start. Not looking as bad as Xbox games with gold, but I thought that every month they were going to lower it down to two games and it probably wouldn't be anything big. I, I thought that more publishers and developers would have been happier with putting their games on extra or essential because then it means that users do not keep their games forever. So I'm still very surprised that PlayStation is striking these deals. Uh, but overall, you know, I've said this many times before. Um, I love PlayStation's strategy. I think their strategy opposed to Game Pass's strategy. I think both of them work so well for each of their companies. You know, they just added for Horizon Forbidden West. Um, So that came to PlayStation Plus Extra a year after. So maybe we'll see Ragnarok there this November. But we'll have to wait and see. But I really love that strategy because they're able to take advantage of sales, which we know their first-party sales are way stronger than Xboxes, which is why Xbox had to offer Xbox games day one, right? Because they had to do it. PlayStation knows that they don't have to, so they could take advantage of normal sales for a year and then stick it into their service. I think it's I think it's a good strategy. Uh, then there were traders for humanity from the team behind Rust. Uh, Infinite and Tetris Effect connected. There was trailer for Goodbye Volcano High, Naruto X Boruto, Ninja Storm Connections, Baldur's Gate 3, and Wayfinder. Baldur's Gate 3 was a bit of a controversy because the team confirmed the game is coming to PC, it's coming to PlayStation 5, but there will not be an Xbox version. Uh, So a lot of people thought that maybe PlayStation had paid for exclusivity, but the company behind Baldur's Gate confirmed that the reason why they haven't announced the Xbox version yet is because they're having technical issues getting split screen to work. A lot of people started bringing up the Xbox Series S again, and the fact that that system is holding back games. And uh, I think it's a valid criticism, absolutely. And I think that at some point, Xbox is going to be forced to... Uh, drop their rule they have a rule in place right now that if you're putting a game on series x it must also work on series s i think at some point uh, xbox is going to have to kill that idea and what they my prediction is that they're going to do it where you're going to be able to sell games for xbox series x exclusivity and if you want to play it on series s you'll have to just cloud stream it so it's still technically uh, accessible on series s but you will have to be online to play it. I just I don't I don't see Xbox being able to support the Series S long term, and I'm sure a lot of developers are not going to want to continue doing it either. Then we got a new look at Street Fighter VI and Resident Evil 4. Both look amazing. You know, Capcom has been hitting on all cylinders. It honestly feels like Capcom can't do uh wrong at this point. I think the only like bad thing that I've seen from Capcom the last few years was that Exo Primal game. It was like the last thing I was like, oh, this is kind of sus. I don't know about this. But everything else that Capcom has been been doing, it's just like, man, what an amazing turnaround for that company. Resident Evil 4 looks amazing. I definitely need to replay the original. I haven't played it in some time, but I love uh, all the changes. The only changes I don't like is Luis's new look. I'm not liking his new face. (laughs) I think outside of that, the updates to the enemy design. I think actually two things, Luis's facial design and the rain. Definitely. I was one of those people are like, yeah, everyone's right. That rain is, is very distracting. I, I hope it's something they, they fix with a, a day one patch. But, uh, and then they also announced like a demo is coming uh, exclusively to PlayStation. So another strong relationship that PlayStation continues is with Capcom um, they also did confirm that the VR mode for Resident Evil four is still being worked on. It won't be available at launch for PSVR two, but it will be free when it eventually releases, which is, which is pretty cool. Uh, I would have to imagine that PlayStation paid some money for that. I'd, I I just can't imagine Capcom saying, Hey, out of the goodness of our hearts, we're going to add VR to Resident Evil four. I'm, I'm sure it's something where at the very least, Uh, PlayStation covered some of those development costs in order to get that VR working. And I I do think it's worth the price of admission. But of course, the big thing that we have to talk about, the big conversation piece, was Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. Now, when they announced this state of play, they announced that Suicide Squad was going to be a part of it. I... At that very moment, I already knew I was not looking forward to seeing this game because after that image leaked, what was it, a month or two ago, that image to me killed. I want to say it killed my hype completely for that game, but I will say my hype went down by 90%. I think I'm still, I think there's still 10% of me right now that is looking forward to this game. It might have dropped to 8% after, after this state of play, but. After that image came out, I, along with so many others, just kind of knew that another one another one bites the dust, right? Another amazing developer, another amazing team is now having to look like fools. They're having to look incompetent. They're having to portray their team as unskilled, as a result of a, uh, of a decision made by the publisher. And what happened to this game is such a strong reflection of Marvel Avengers. Where I don't have to be in those rooms. I don't have to interview developers to know for a fact that these games did not start the way that they started. I know for a fact that the game started as a much from a much purer place of wanting to deliver an amazing product to fans, as opposed to a game as a service, a uh, uh, a piece of software, where the driving principle behind it is making money, and there are many things that there, there are many facts in our industry, but one fact that is unanimous is that if you create a product where the driving factor is solely profit driven, uh, the chances that that product will fail increases exponentially. And gamers nowadays, especially in the year 2023, it's become much easier and easier to identify a game that you know it exists purely to try to siphon money out of you. And, you know, watching these 15 minutes was, it was, it was a very, very genuinely sad thing to, like, I genuinely felt sadness like it wasn't depression I'm I'm not gonna say it made me depressed but it made me sad because you you, I knew watching it being such a huge fan of the Arkham trilogy you know growing up Batman was my favorite superhero and Arkham Asylum and the two games that came after it uh, were a very simple premise it was we're going to take this character that people have grown to love through uh, the comic books, through the animated series. And we're going to stick true to those principles. And we're delivering a game where the, the center of it, right, the gravity that holds that game together is very simple. You are Batman. Like that was like the driving factor of that game is we're creating a game where you are Batman and when you play that game and all the systems that were built in order to make that game what it was, where there was the 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 stealth aspects of like being able to set traps and take enemies down one by one and be able to swing around perches and things like that, adding the enemy enemy variety, then eventually opening up to a city and letting you grapple around the city, then the Batmobile, everything was anchored by you are Batman, and what resulted was one of the most talented development teams that we've seen in our industry easily within the last decade. Like it's understandable. If you don't believe that Rocksteady is the greatest developer in the last decade, that's okay, but you have to be able to agree that Rocksteady is one of the greatest and one of the most influential developers we've seen in the last decade of our industry. So it it really does fill me with sadness because you understand that it took eight years for this game to get here. And there's just zero chance. There's just no chance in hell that this game started this way from the beginning. At some point, the reason why this took eight years is because a bunch of people in suits sat around in a boardroom, looked at the game, And said, why am I only going to sell this game once? And they're looking at all these other games on the market. They're looking at cell phone games. They're looking at mobile revenue. And they're telling themselves, no. We want you guys to go back to the drawing board. And we need you to turn this into a game as a service. And it's exactly what happened to Marvel Avengers. And there's no reason to look at this game. And not think that the same exact thing is going. Like literally the same you know, it's, it's like they said, history does repeat itself, but it rhymes. And that's exactly what's happening here. Where I look at Marvel's Avengers and then I stand, I put it right next to Guardians of the Galaxy, right? These two comic book adaptations of teams. And you look at uh, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, it is single player, right? You still have your entire team with you, right? But you're only controlling one person, right? But you have your team of five. And it works because it has this amazing narrative structure to it. The writing is perfect. The characters are perfect. The development is perfect. You stand at right next to Avengers where it's like the cinematics were great. The Avengers story was still pretty good. But what killed it was the fact that the anchor point to that game was how can we make money? Right. That wasn't the anchor point to Guardians. That's why it succeeded. When you think about WB games, right, their most recent failures have all been anchored to how can we make money, right? So multiverses, you can look at and say, wow, that's a failure and it's heading towards disaster. Uh, You stand that next to something like Hogwarts Legacy, where it's like Hogwarts Legacy sold 12 million copies it made $850 million within its first, I think, week or two. Think about what if Hogwarts Legacy was a game as a service? Would it have been as successful as it is is in this format? No, it just wouldn't have, right? So now you look at this game the suicide squad killed the justice league and you can stand it right next to gotham knights right <laughs> which is kind of just hilarious because once again just like square enix made they publish avengers and they publish Guardians of the galaxy wb is publishing gotham knights and they're publishing suicide squad gotham knights was an absolute failure it was a critical and commercial failure and the reason why is extremely simple. When you create a game and you're being instructed to turn your game into a games as a service, what happens is that you are told to emulate and replicate what is already successful. But the problem is that when you start to emulate and replicate what's been successful, at some point, the pattern emerges, gamers start identifying it, and that at that point in time, they start avoiding it because they want something fresh, they want something new. When you're creating something with a single-player anchor, for example, or or anchoring it to the narrative, where your objective is, I'm just trying to give you guys an amazing game that's sticking close to the source material. That's how you end up with something like a Hogwarts Legacy. Gotham Knights failed. And Gotham Knights was something that I identified as a failure, right? The moment they mentioned gear score, the moment that i saw that gameplay and i saw numbers flying out of an enemy's head and they started talking about different armor pieces and attributes i said this game is going to fail it's very you can see it from a mile away the issue now though is that games that are being developed right now at this moment the publishers know we can't get away with this as much as we used to but we have to also remember that even if there was a twist within Suicide Squad, and at one point Rocksteady was saying, they told Rocksteady, you have to change this game. Give me the gear score. Give me the min maxing. We need to sell, we need to sell B- bane skins, and we're gonna sell fucking scarecrow skins and shit like that. I, I I need I need my Captain Boomerang to be dressed like Scarecrow and I need to sell that for ten dollars or whatever. Even if that came at the four year mark, there was still four years ago that, that decision was made at that point, there was still a likelihood that you could find success with this type of play. Now in the year 2023, there's just no there's no, just no path for it. And even if WB identified it, like let's say when Gotham Knights, they were like, oh my God, this is a disaster. It's too late. You can't go back to Rocksteady a third time and say, no, no, let's go back to your original vision. It's too late. That's it. You've already sunk. You're already over budget right you're already doing overtime in terms of when this game was originally supposed to be released you can't pivot anymore so when you look at the suicide squad it sucks because you still see like the ghost of games past right and and it shows up in the narratives it shows up in the characters it shows up in the dialogue wonder woman looks amazing superman looks amazing batman green lantern flash look amazing um Flash and Wonder Woman are the two that we've seen speak the most out of all the Justice League, and they got them so right. Like Wonder Woman is perfect. The Flash is perfect. They got his tone just right in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, Everything about the Suicide Squad themselves, from Cat the Boomerang to Harley Quinn, they got them perfect, perfect. And you look at those things and for me, it made me smile because I was like, man, this is Rocksteady. And I was so excited to see Rocksteady take on the Suicide Squad because, yeah, I was a little disappointed to find out that they weren't working on Superman. I still feel like a good, a great Superman game can be made. And if any team could have done it, it would have been Rocksteady. But I was still excited to see what they were going to do with um, the Suicide Squad because it is an, an anti-hero story. And there's, I feel like there's a lot, there's a lot more room there, to be creative and be comedic, and have way more fun with that script and those twists and those characters than you, than you are able to with uh, a character like Batman and and Bruce Wayne, right? Yeah, there there is wiggle room there, but it is wiggle room. You can't stretch Batman too much, or then you destroy the source material. Whereas with the Suicide Squad not only do you um, have way more room to stretch, but you have access to a lot of different characters, right? Like, yes, we do have staples like Boomerang, Deadshot, um, and Harley Quinn, but there's still room left to grow. And we saw that, for example, in the James Gunn film. And for those reasons, I was extremely excited to see what they were going to do. And, man it was just sad it was so sad to see what this game has been turned into to see it devolve into just another third person shooter with damage numbers and like oh i got a new shotgun plus 12% resistance against venom and you know all this i remember that there there's like a a stat line where it's like plus 12% damage to batman infused enemies which is just fucking stupid And then to see so many design decisions that you can tell are handcuffed, literally handcuffed to this system, right? So it's like, why is King Shark using guns? Like King Shark, you even explained like he's he's a tank. I should be able to play King Shark like I play Incredible Hulk, right? I should be able to just jump higher, further, faster than anyone else, And I should be able to land in people and rip people in half, right? Uh, Beat them down with my fist. Eat people, right? I should be able to just grab these smaller enemies and just straight up, bite their heads off. No, this guy's running around with SMGs. It's just so stupid. You have a character called Captain Boomerang using sniper rifles. And it's a decision that is not, I guarantee you, is not made by designers. It's not made by Sefton Hill and the rest of the league is at steady. it's something that in order for the money to come rolling in right in order to emulate what the, the publisher wants to emulate everyone must be able to use shotguns sniper rifles smgs and assault rifles it's it's soulless when you look at that game you know looking at Deadshot shot flying around with a jetpack shooting purple zits on a tank and it's oh my god it's so frustratingly sad and I think the saddest part about this is I and so many others that you saw on social media there's still a part of us that wants to buy this game day one and I'm one of those people that gets like I still want to play this game because I know that underneath all of that shit underneath all of that garbage there's still rock steady magic i know it's in there right um i'm just going to have to wade through this garbage gameplay loop but i know that deep down inside there's going there's there's definitely going to be an amazing story in there so there still is this part of me that is interested in buying the game to play the campaign it it honestly reminds me a lot of Avengers where it's like I bought the game I was very happy with the campaign the gameplay loop was trash uh, even playing with other people I didn't find it very much fun and I just decided to sell the game I look at this Suicide Squad as something very similar where it's like I still want to experience that story because I know that that's one thing that can still shine bright, even if the rest of the game is garbage. Because, I, like, I'm not looking forward to a boss battle with Batman. I'm not looking forward to a boss battle with Green Lantern because I know it's going to be, you know, enemy phases and shooting lesser grunts. And then uh, I'm going to shoot Green Lanterns weak point which is probably going to be his lantern right oh his lantern is flying around we have to shoot his lantern so we can destroy it so he doesn't get powered up yeah i know it's going to be some bs like that and there's still it, 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 it it's another part of me that makes me so sad about this suicide squad game is that i still want to play for the story even though it's surrounded by all of this utter utter garbage and Man, I, I, all, 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 we can hope for is that these games continue to be cautionary tales for future developers. This is definitely going to be a wake up call for WB because now WB looks at this as like Back for Blood, which was a, a service game, didn't do very well. Multiverses is it looks like it's almost on the verge of of being shut down. Gotham Knights did not do very well. No way that Suicide Squad is going to do very well. Even though they're saying that missions and new characters, they're going to be available free of charge, I don't think this, this this the money that they make is going to make up for this eight-year development time that this game had to go through in order for them to get this version out there. It's not going to find success. There's one silver lining to all of this is that WB is going to look at all those failures and they're going to go, what are our successes? Oh, Hogwarts Legacy. Okay, so now we know. We have to shut up and get back to doing single-player. So hopefully that's that's like the silver lining of all of this is that hopefully we get out on the other... Because remember, every other publisher went through this, right? EA had to go through it. And now EA understands like, okay, Dead Space, Wild Hearts, Star Wars. Now they're getting back to doing more single-player content and we're seeing a lot of other publishers doing the same they understand that there could be success when it comes to this and you're better off folk laser focusing on trying to get one successful game as a service rather than trying to do a bunch of them and basically throwing darts at a wall hot new releases for the week uh not much we have one game march 3rd wolong falling dynasty PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and Game Pass. I tried the demo once again. It was a new demo last week. It's just not for me, man. It's just not for me. I know a lot of people are looking forward to this game. It's just not for me. I I, I don't know. The combat just doesn't click with me. Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna go through it. Um, but I get why a lot of people like it. So I hope the game does really well. Uh, time for us to wrap it up. Stories we didn't have time to get to. EA is polling fans, asking them if they will be interested in remakes of Dead Space 2 and or 3. Let me save you a lot of time and money, Electronic Arts. No, 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 no. Do not release or try to remake Dead Space 2 or 3. I think it would be a disaster. I don't think they're going to make their money back on those. Even Dead Space 1, which was the remake that everyone wanted, right? That was the one that everyone wanted remake. That didn't do so well. It did okay. You know, I, I don't think it's something where EA is gonna lose money on it. I'm sure that they're probably gonna make some money on it, but I don't think it's as much as they thought or they wanted it to be. And it's unfortunately it just comes with the territory of doing survival, uh survival horror. I think they're actually better off. Um I would either go the path of workshopping a brand new entry to Dead Space. Or just kind of abandoning it outright. I I think I think the remake is okay. That was great. I don't think a two or three remake is going to make any sense. Last week, Nintendo confirms it will confirmed it will not attend E three two thousand twenty three. Honestly, I still don't think this is really that big of a deal. Uh, we've been seeing the writing on the wall for a while. I don't think that Nintendo. This means that Nintendo is done with E three forever. I think that, you know, even as early as next year, if it fits better into their plans, I can see them coming back. I don't think this means that Nintendo's abandoning E3 outright. During an investor call, WB confirmed Mortal Kombat 12 is in development and claimed it may release later this year. This is funny because I looked at this like, I like it, but I don't like it. Like, I, 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 I'm I, one of those people that I like being surprised, right? I like watching... E3 or whatever Jeff Keighley Summer Games Fest turns out to be. I like sitting there and watching a teaser and getting something announced that we sort of knew was happening, right? We all knew that these guys were working on another Mortal Kombat. It was either going to be that or Injustice 3, but rumors were were heavy that it was going to be another Mortal Kombat. But then on the other side, I sort of like this too. Like just just like, yeah, this is something that we're working on. I'm kind of okay with that too. <laughs> so um It was a weird announcement, but I'm actually kind of okay with it. Now we know what to expect. Um, So I feel like it would allow NetherRealm to be a little bit more open with their announcement of the game. Instead of trying to be like, here's a teaser trailer. We have nothing else to talk about. I think it will allow them to be a little bit more forward with some information. And finally, Sons of the Four is released on early access last week and sold 2 million copies in 24 hours. Pretty amazing. Now, there was something I was thinking about uh, last week, and uh, maybe this is crazy. Call me crazy. What would stop uh, Microsoft from releasing Starfield into early access? Like, what would stop them from doing that? Releasing Starfield... Into early access and Game Pass uh early preview, right? The game is ex- uh exclusive. There's rumors that the game still needs some time. Fans have shown that they're okay with paying money early to, to get into these games, even if they have bugs and crashes and stuff like that. Why not? Why not add Starfield to even if it's even if it's just adding it to Game Pass? Hey, you can't buy the game, but if you want to play it now, you can access it through early access. And you be able to make money along the way as you develop the game. Why not? Just do it. Look at how many of these indie games are finding success. It's pretty crazy, right? Shoutouts. We got a few. Shout out to God of War Ragnarok. Took home seven DICE awards. Shout out to Elden Ring. They took home five, including Game of the Year. Bandai Namco also announced the game has sold twenty million copies. And then also shout out to Mr. Shinji Mikami. Who announced he was leaving the studio he founded tango gameworks and so there are rumors that he retired that's not what he said um my guess is maybe he has a game in his head that he wants to create and i could see him trying to find another team in order to do it maybe it's something that xbox is like no nah, we're not doing that or no we want you guys to make an evil within three or something like that maybe he didn't want to go with it there's been rumors that he's had a game that he's wanted to make before he retired um, so maybe that's what he's pursuing. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, that's our show for today. Thank you guys so much for for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Cam Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joal, and I will see you all next week.